You're listening to the Misty Creek Community Church Podcast. To learn more about Misty Creek Community Church, visit our website at mistycreekchurch.org. Today's message is from Senior Pastor Stephen Street. I thank God for our worship team and the music. Folks, I don't know if you ever put two and two together, how in sync and in tune the Holy Spirit has placed uh, Doug and I together when it comes to the theme of our services, uh, the music, the worship, the lyrics. It's all done by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's not something that we just sit around and say, hey, this is a good idea. It comes from above. How beautiful the feet that bring the sound of good news that walked the long dusty road from the hill to the cross. He walked a mile in my shoes. You see, His light is a light that's overcome the darkness. Maybe you've come in here this morning feeling like you're always in the dark, groping around in the darkness. You're not sure which way to go. You don't know what to do in your life. And you're hoping today that just maybe, maybe, God would say something to you today, that he would speak to you today, that he would inspire you today. Well, my friends, let me tell you something. He's going to, and he already has. Are you ready for this? So darkness and light are favorite images in the scriptures. As you know, when Jesus was crucified, there was a darkness all over the earth until the ninth hour. The imagery is clear. Jesus is the light of the world, and that light was being snuffed out. Not forever, of course, or our lives would be forever hopeless. There's a story of a a young man who is dying on the battlefield in war, and he asks for a chaplain. And the chaplain gets there, and the man says, Give me a light, chaplain. The chaplain finds a cigarette and a lighter, and he puts it between the boy's lips, and the young man whispers, No, no, chaplain, no, the other kind of light. The chaplain reaches into his pocket, and he brings out a New Testament. And he begins to read, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John eight twelve. That's it. That's it, whispers the young soldier as he lapses into unconsciousness and death. It appears that darkness will prevail for a while at Golgotha. Don't know what Golgotha is. Golgotha is the place of the skull where Jesus is crucified. It's a high point outside the walls of Jerusalem, down the Via Della Rosa, the way of suffering. But of course that darkness does not last long. The darkness can never prevail over the light. Sin and death, which represent darkness, they've been defeated, folks. Jesus defeated them. St. Paul would later write, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. But it's more than the sting of death that Jesus overcame. It's the sting of shame, the sting of humiliation, the sting of rejection. Been there before? Have you been humiliated? Have you been rejected? So your life is filled with disappointment and bitterness. Jesus understands. He cares. He offers a new beginning. He offers a light that overcomes the darkness. 
as we celebrate this Palm Sunday, as we celebrate the joyful procession and the cheering crowds, let's acknowledge that Jesus' life was not always that way. Just like our life's not always that way. I'm not always like Jojo the Clown or Chuckles. Not always that way. At times there are moments when I feel like darkness may be creeping in. But thanks be to God, the light has overcome the darkness. And I am a child of the light, the marvelous light. And I run into that light and let that light overcome me so that darkness can never again prevail in my life. There is a, a cloud over this community, especially over young people. For some reason, darkness has entered into our young people in their 20s. We need to pray for our young people. Another young man in our community has lost his life. And that's a heavy burden for many of you. Some of you are here today and your hearts are hurting. Right? I've got hope for you folks. It's not my hope. It's only a hope that God can give. So hang on, okay? So his life, Jesus' life, it began in shame. And some would say that it ended in shame. His was a love reaching to the least and the lost and the lowest. But more importantly, he is the light that can lead us from the darkness of shame and rejection into the bright day of hope and wholeness once again. In your relationships, as we heard in the scripture this morning, your relationships with one another have the same mindset as that of Jesus who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient even unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name and that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue shall acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Amen? Amen. So who are you? I mean really. And I'm not talking about Batman. Who are you? I'm Batman. You ever notice he says it twice? I'm Batman. I'm Batman. Okay, we get it. You're Batman. But who are you? You see, if you are a follower of Christ, you have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, you no longer live. Christ lives within you. It is He who lives in you, not you yourself. Can you comprehend that? So embrace your cross today. And follow him in the way that leads from death to resurrection. We're entering into Holy Week. And today's supposed to be a celebratory day. And it will be. We're going to have pop bar in a little bit. We're going to celebrate. We are. But in order for us to do that, we must understand we cannot fast forward to Easter today. Before there can be a resurrection, there must be a death. And we too need to die to ourselves if we've not already done that and live for him. So I want to offer this, I would say brief, but I can't guarantee it's going to be brief, but I hope it is. It's whatever God wants it to be. I'm going to offer a reflection regarding Holy Week. So fast-forwarding to our service that will be here on Thursday night, the Monday thursday 
service. Service of Holy Communion is the, the last meal that Jesus has with his disciples. Now, we'll have Holy Communion here at Misty Creek Community Church, but we're going to do something that we've not done as a church yet. Maybe you've never done in your life. We're going to do something sacred and traditional in addition to Holy Communion that will actually happen before Holy Communion. We're going to have a foot washing service. Yes, you heard right. A foot washing service. Stephen, I'm not sure I understand what you're talking about. I, I, don't, I don't know about that. That's weird. It's not weird. For you see, during Jesus' time, and even before him and even after him, it was tradition when you entered into someone's home to celebrate any feast in the Jewish culture that a servant or someone in the home would wash your feet. The intent was to clean your feet because you were in sandals, most likely. Not closed-toe shoes like you and I have. And so your feet would be washed. You might be offered a cup of water. Sometimes your head might be anointed with oil, even. It's a sign of hospitality and reverence. And so the disciples were entering into this upper room, this place that Jesus had asked them to prepare and have probably already had their feet washed at the door because that was tradition. And then when they got in there and they're expecting Jesus to retell the Passover story, the people being rescued and saved from the angel of death during Passover, that story was going to be told. But instead, Jesus gets up from the table, he takes off his outer robe, he has a sash that's around him. He takes the sash off. He grabs a basin and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. Now, that is something that's reserved for the servants. The lower class, so, so, so to speak. So when he starts washing Peter's feet, Peter's like, no, Peter the disciple. You're not washing my feet, Jesus. No way. And Jesus says basically... Unless you let me wash your feet, you have no part with me. And then Peter's like, well, then wash all of me. And then he says, well, you don't need to be washed completely. And he says to them, do as I have done unto you. And he washes all of their feet. Not because their feet were dirty, but it's an act of humility, an act of service. That's what it's about. And that's what we're going to do here. We're going to have a group of servants that will arrive here before you do, and I will wash their feet and anoint them. And then when you come, and you don't have to do this, I don't want you to feel awkward or weird if you don't get up and have your feet washed, but I don't want you to miss the service because well, they're doing something weird over there at Mystic Creek. I'm not having my feet washed. I got corns and everything else. I ain't doing that. Nobody's going to be looking at your feet. That's not the purpose of this. If you think you've got to go out and get a pedicure, you do that. That's your business. But that's not the purpose of this. In all seriousness, it may be, it very well could be, the most humble thing you've ever experienced. Did you notice that Jesus didn't have his feet washed? He washed their feet. Therefore, I'm not going to have, I'm not Jesus, but I'm not going to have my feet washed that night. I'm going to wash the feet of the servants that will be here, and they in turn will wash your feet. And it will be sacred and it will be holy. So that's Maundy Thursday, sort of in a nutshell. And we'll, we'll spend some time reflecting during that service, and it will be very meaningful. And then there's the grief and despair of Good Friday. And we're not going to 
I'm not going to preach. I may have a little intro, but we're going to watch the highly acclaimed film produced and directed by Mel Gibson, The Passion of the Christ. Now, I must go ahead and tell you, that'll be at 6.30. I must go ahead and tell you, it's very, very visual. It's violent, and it's bloody. But folks, it's a really powerful example of what happened at Holy Week, what happened to Jesus. If you can be here, I highly encourage you to be here, to watch it with this community of faith together. It will be transformational. We're going to have plenty of tissues because you will shed tears. It will move you to tears. And we'll exit that service in total silence. We won't stand out in fellowship for 30 minutes and drink bottled water. We won't do that. It'll be a reflective time as we exit out from watching the movie. So I hope you'll be here for that on Good Friday. So the disciples on Good Friday there in utter despair. Jesus says to them, my hour has come. And Peter's like, what? Can we get the swords? We're not going to let anybody mess with you, Jesus. Nobody's betraying you. Nobody's going to arrest you. You're the king of kings. You're our best friend. No way you're not going to go anywhere. When are you going to restore your kingdom, Jesus? And then we fast forward. And the disciples see this bloody figure. Who's that? That's not Jesus. There's no way that's Jesus. This ain't no kingdom, the disciples begin to say. Where's my fishing tackle? I'm out of here. I wasn't called to witness this and be a part of something like this. You see, the crowds loved Jesus. They did. Outside the walls of Jerusalem, they knew in their hearts He was the Messiah. When He goes into Jerusalem on this day of Palm Sunday, that's why they're shouting Hosanna and blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. Because they know and they believe it's Him. He's the Messiah. So they loved Him. It's 23 court officials who brought forth His death. A different crowd within the walls of the city who do not know who Jesus is. Many of them didn't experience his miracles and see what he could do and bring people back from the dead. They didn't see that. They didn't witness him feed thousands. These are different people. The people that Jesus was with, you didn't know this, did you? They were on the outskirts. That's where we get the word outskirts from. Outside, the nobody, the losers. Only allowed to make the Mecca to the city when there was something big happening like the Passover. So they would open the gates and let the people come in just for that week. So that's the crowd that loves Jesus. The crowd that's inside and these officials and these Pharisees and these Sadducees, well, they see Jesus as a threat because his kingdom is of humility and servitude and doing unto the least of these. Their kingdom is more about keeping the law. Make sure your hands are clean. Make sure you offer this many sacrifices and you do this and that. Some people today are still blinded and clouded by the law, folks. Instead of serving out the call that Christ has played in their life or called, and called them to play out in their lives. And that's to seek, save, and find the lost. And while I'm on that for a moment, as a side note, we were 200 lunches shy yesterday of our quota for the Sack Lunch Brigade, and I understand that. This coming Saturday, we'll probably be real low on lunches because a lot of people right now, people are at the Masters. But there'll be a lot of people out of town next week. I'm asking you as your pastor 
to make lunches before you go out of town, before you do something else, so that we can have at least a 1,000 lunches and not one shelter, not one person will go without lunch over the weekend. Because we were shy, I'm afraid one whole shelter didn't receive lunches yesterday. That's not your fault. It's just the way it is. This is time of the year. But this congregation and the resources that we have and the connections we have, we ought to, not should, but we ought to because we get to make a thousand lunches every single Saturday without a complaint and do it willingly because it's what Jesus would do. So that's a side note. So how about the cross that Jesus would be crucified on? You thought we were going to make the Friday to do this, not today, but God has a way of saying, I need these people to know that it's not all about celebrating today. It's about being prepared for what's going to happen by week's end. So crosses were made from, from, were made from rooted trees along the road, maybe even from the Garden of Gethsemane. Olive and fig trees that are crooked and have knots on them. Trees are pruned in the city. Criminals are carried, criminals are carried down the street to scare the people. The crime hung around their necks is a sign. It says what they've done. Jesus had a sign around his neck on the cross. The letters I-N-R-I. Jesus, the Nazarene King of the Jews. In Jesus' time, up to 2,000 crucifixions a day. 2,000 crucifixions a day on display for everybody to see. So as you were coming into the city, along the road were these bodies hanging from the cross. Crows picking their eyes out. Blood shedding. That's visual, isn't it? That's nothing compared to what you're going to see in the Passion of the Christ. I'm just forewarning you. But you need to know the sacrifice that was made for you so that you could be here today freely worshiping your Savior, Jesus Christ. So worse death is crucifixion means the person was cursed. To preach Christ crucified, as Paul taught that, it's a stumbling block for the Jews. Wait a minute, you can't have a cursed Messiah, resurrected or not. The Messiah can't be crucified. Oh, we know the prophets predicted it. It's providential. It's in the Old Testament. We just can't believe the Word of God from the prophets. We can't believe it's going to happen that way, that he would be a suffering servant, that he would be a wounded healer, that he would soak up all of sin and death in himself. We can't believe that. He's got to be a, a king with a sword and a shield and a white horse. Why does it have to be a white horse? Because people misinterpret Revelation, by the way. We won't go there today. And so, there's a terrible violence during Jesus' time. From 63 B.C. to 70 A.D., Romans occupied all of Jerusalem. Extreme oppression and violence and taxation. We've seen a lot of that in the Chosen series how the taxation from both ends, from the religious authorities and the government, was crippling the people terribly. Some might say that our society is being crippled, crippled terribly with tax, with gas prices, with inflation. You see how the world repeats itself, folks? It's interesting, isn't it? That's because man just seems to get in the way of everything, doesn't he? instead of letting Christ rule man's heart. I'm just saying, you're going to hear the truth here. Jesus did not blaspheme God. The religious officials said that he did, but he didn't. He blasphemed 
the religious leaders because they believed themselves to be God's representatives. And in some instances, they even believed that they were God himself. If Doug or I or anybody in this church ever alludes at all that we are God, I want you to slap us. Not like was done on the award show the other night, and I'm not even going to go there because all you know what I'm talking about. Not like that either. Maybe worse. Because we are not. We are his representatives, folks. That's who we are. So Pilate had Jesus tortured, which means he believed Jesus was guilty. Scourging, do you know what that is? Bone and metal, 39 lashes would have been like 200. Most don't even survive scourging. I don't think I would survive it because I bleed very easily. It's worse than the crucifixion itself. Jesus would have had no back muscles to carry the cross. He would have not been hydrated whatsoever. He would have lost so much blood, there would have been nothing there. Nothing to eat. And your stomach's rumbling now. He would have had nothing, folks. So before we get to Easter, hang on just a few more moments. How about his last seven words from the cross? The last seven words that he said. Remember, he's bleeding, he's naked, he's exhausted. The cross beam weighs 75 to 100 pounds. He has no back muscles, extreme blood loss, he's dehydrated, he's insulted, he's whipped and he's mocked. His cross is only about nine feet tall. Jesus is only about three feet above the ground on that cross. Mary and the beloved disciples and possibly Mary Magdalene and another person may have been there as well. The scriptures allude to that. Could have reached out and touched Jesus' feet. Picture that for a moment. You will see that in the film on Friday. So this sets the stage for those last seven words on a Palm Sunday, which you never thought you would hear these this early. But I want you to hear them. I want you to know that he walked a mile in your shoes, more than a mile, and he suffered for you. He says the very first word, he says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. Jesus from the cross, he's suffering, he's hurting, he offers preemptive forgiveness from the cross. Father, forgive them, forgive them all, all of them, for they do not know what they're doing. And you have a hard time forgiving someone when they say something negative about you on Facebook. Think about it, folks. To fully experience his transformational, agape, hesed love, covenantal love, you must forgive. You must. And he says, today you will be with me in paradise. I always found this interesting. There's two criminals on the cross. There's one over here and one over here. One criminal is rebuking him, and the other criminal is saying, Hey, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You got to understand that this guy, this criminal, he was a criminal. He deserved what he got. Jesus did not. And so this criminal is rebuking the other one for rebuking Jesus. This criminal over here, he hadn't been to Journey of Faith with the youth group. He hadn't been to the chosen Bible study. He hadn't attended disciples Bible study. He hadn't read the Greek and Hebrew. He had done none of that. He didn't know the 66 books of the Bible. Because to be honest with you, they were not documented yet. And yet in a moment, through faith, grace through faith, he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, today 
you will be with me in paradiso. The word means perfection. Paradise. You can't conceive it. You have no clue what it's going to be like. And I believe he orchestrated it that way. Because if you knew what it was going to be like, you would already be comparing it. There's no comparison, folks. It's a gift that he offers those who believe. Jesus says it himself. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. I know you like the term mansions, mansions, but that's the old English translation. It's dwelling places. If it were not so, would I go to prepare a place for you? I have a home there. I don't know what it's going to be like, and I don't need to know. But you do too if you believe in Jesus. And so that graveyard out there, it doesn't fear you. It doesn't make you nervous because you're not going to be out there. And I hope you don't choose to be buried there anyway. (laughs) You'll never be in a graveyard or a cemetery. And there is a difference, folks. A graveyard is a place we bury people next to the church. A cemetery is a holy place. It's a burial ground. So we have a graveyard right next to us. And my hope is nobody's actually there. Their souls have already resurrected. You know, bones and all that, that doesn't really matter. That's why they break. You see, Jesus never had a broken bone. Ever. I want to make that clear to you. Okay? How about these words? He says this to the beloved disciple and his mother, Jesus' mother. Here is your son, here is your mother. Jesus, in his moment of despair, Families first. I never forget something Richard Brown said to me a couple of weeks ago. Because I was heading back and forth to South Carolina with Karen to help minister to her family and and get everything in order uh, for their extended living, long-term care. And um, felt like I, I wasn't neglecting what I needed to be doing at the church, but just couldn't be everything to everybody. And Richard, who's on our leadership team, he says to me, he says, Stephen... Where's Richard at? I know he's here. There he is. He says to me, Richard, 76 years old, in all of his wisdom, he says, Stephen, family first. Family first. Thank you, Richard. Jesus was saying to his mama and to John, family first. Do y'all hear that? Family first. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, in his humility, in his humanity, he feels forsaken and lost. So if you don't think that your God, your Savior, knows what it's like to be forsaken, you're absolutely incorrect because he does know. He knows what you're going through right now, and he says, don't go through it by yourself because I have walked a mile in your shoes, and I'm walking in your shoes right now. I can empathize with you. Let me carry you through this. I've already taken on the suffering and the pain and the sorrow and the death. Let me fill you with my indescribable joy. Let me carry you. Let me hold you. The Easter sunrise service. I know some of you won't be there because it's just too stinking early. I'm asking you to be there because you're going to have a literal opportunity to sit at the feet of the resurrected Jesus. And that's all I'm going to say about it. You're going to be like... How's that going to be possible? And if you're not there to sit at the feet of Jesus, everybody's going to remind you that you weren't there. So there's an opportunity for you to sit at the feet of Jesus Easter Sunday morning. Just hang on. It's going to happen. I'm thirsty. Anybody else? 
Yes. I'm always thirsty. Jaden drinks like three gallons of water a day. He's got this container this big. It's huge. He drinks it. He's always in the bathroom. I'm like, where's Jaden? It's time for prayer. He's in the bathroom. Where's Jaden? We're getting ready to start the movie. He's in the bathroom. Where's Jaden? We're getting ready to eat cheeseburger. You hear the door of the bathroom is closed. He's flying down the hall. There's Jaden. Um, I love him. He's a great young man. I'm thirsty. He's thirsty. He's lost all this fluid and he's thirsty. And all he wants is something to drink. He's reminding us, I too am human. I'm just like you. It is finished. He's not saying, I give up. It's over. You win. It's the opposite. He's saying, it's finished. We did it, Lord. Father, Abba, Daddy, we did it. Delivered, redeemed, restored, saved all of humanity by absorbing all of the crap, the sin and the death and the evil into himself. Where, O death, is thy victory? Where, O death, is thy sting? Death has been defeated. Satan has been stomped and defeated. He only has power when you let him have power. Don't let him have power. Rebuke him. All you got to do is say, in the name of Jesus. I rebuke you. I rebuke that thought. I rebuke that image. I rebuke that drink. I rebuke that needle. Get thee behind me, Satan. You have no part with me or my son or my daughter or my husband or my family. Jesus Christ rules and reigns here. That's all the world needs to do. The world united together, profess Jesus Christ as Lord and surrender to him. You want to call for the kingdom to come? The kingdom will be here immediately. You don't read about that in Revelation, do you? But that's the truth, folks. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. He breathes his last. It's finished, and now he commits his life and death to God. We're at the end. And at the end, as he breathed his last, Jesus resumes the cruciform conversation that he began with his father. He began with, Father, forgive them. Now he ends with these crucial words, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Jesus does in his death what he did throughout his life. He committed himself into the father's keeping. Thus Christians believe that the death of Jesus means as much as his life means. Before there can be, and you've heard me say it a hundred times, before there can be a resurrection, there must be a death. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. It's Jesus Christ who lives within me. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and here's what you can use for your unbeliever friend. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the single act in history that separates Christianity from every other religion, every other philosophy, and every belief system. Easter celebrates Christ's victory over death and evil. Woo! Year after year, we celebrate Easter, the day that death was defeated. And our Lord and Savior rose from the dead. If we only focus on that moment, if we only focus on the stone being rolled away, now Jesus is alive, we can miss the impact of the event. That's why I'm walking you through this today. Doug will tell you, 
Eric will tell you, this was not the message I was planning to preach as of 4 p.m. yesterday afternoon. I had a message in which I was going to show these beautiful dogs up on the screen and tell these great little stories. And as I'm outside spraying for weeds, isn't it crazy how many weeds are out right now? It's all the rain, I guess. I'm spraying for weeds, not smoking any of them. I'm spraying for it. We got some hippie kids here, so they are appreciating it a lot. And so, yeah, I got you. Um, God just, he manifests himself through the Holy Spirit and says, Stephen, put that message away. I've got a different message for you. You were planning on doing this celebration about Palm Sunday and leading people into Holy Week all, you know, happy and all. He said, no, I need you to remember, remember what truly happened. Because, you know, the road to Easter ran through a cemetery. It did. Jesus, on that cross, he absorbed all of your sin and all of your pain into himself as he defeated Satan at the same time. And he defeated evil from the cross. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? As I was walking through the church graveyard the other day, a graveyard represents fear and death to some. But those who believe in Jesus Christ, death is, is really just the beginning. I've encountered folks in hospice care. At the end of their life, they're looking forward to death. They're welcoming it. There are some, and there are some in this room that have experienced this, that their mom or their dad, family member or friend, is even walking the family through the streets of heaven, telling them, this is who I see. This is what it looks like. This is where I'm going. Isn't there peace and comfort in knowing that, Linda? A lot, isn't there? Hope. There's a lot of hope in that. Amen to that? There's a lot of hope in that. There's a lot of hope in that, isn't there, Kathy? A lot of hope in that, isn't there, Doug? Mom and dad died relatively close to each other, and they entered into the kingdom together. What a story. What a testimony that is. Hmm. Woo. Thank you, Jesus. You see, as believers, we're not fearful of that out there. Some of you are like, I didn't even know we had a graveyard. I haven't even been on that side of the church yet. Well, it's over there, I promise. It's over there. It's funny how we go through graveyards and we're like all oh, quiet because we don't want to wake anybody up. I'm like, what are you doing? It's like it's scary. I'm like, this isn't the movie Twilight. Come on, nobody's going to pop up. You know, it's not going to be what you think. For you see, as believers, we have the promise of eternity within us right now. And when this mortal body fails, and believe me, it's going to fail at some point, folks. The renovations team left something out in their presentation. It's my fault. Probably one of the best renovations, one of the greatest things we'll do here at Misty Creek Community Church is we have an NBA quality, commercial quality basketball goal being installed behind this church, and it will be up ready to play on on Monday. I realize because of my mortal body, my limitations, I'm not going to be able to dunk on that new goal unless Jacob lowers it way down so that guy, I can do it. So I have limitations in this body, folks. 
But that's okay. Because he's preparing to receive my spiritual body, my soul, what really matters in the eternity. A perfect home prepared by our Savior where there will be no more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more backaches, no more headaches, no more fevers, no more female problems, no more male problems. None of that, folks. No more aging, no more arthritis, no more shoulder pain or hip pain or grief. A perfect home for you. So let me ask you, who are you? Who are, who are you now that you know what Christ has done for you? You're a child of God. You're children of the resurrection. We are Easter people. Yes. You've been crucified with Christ. You no longer live. It's not you that lives. It's Christ who lives within you. So embrace your cross today and follow Him in a way that leads from death to resurrection life. For you are who He says you are. You are a child of the resurrected King of kings, Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and forevermore. Amen. We hope you were inspired by today's message. For more sermons from Misty Creek Community Church, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you like to stream your podcasts. You can also watch videos of our sermons and complete services on the Misty Creek Community Church YouTube channel. And while you're there, be sure to like, subscribe, and hit the notification bell. For more information about our church, including our mission, location, service times, and more, visit our website at mistycreekchurch.org. God bless you, and thank you for listening.